Welcome to Fick Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence Fick Research Team. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to this month's Emerging Market Lens and Look Through podcast. I am your host, Damien Sassauer, and today we are joined by Mr. Sergey Goncharov, Emerging Markets Portfolio Manager at Von Tobel. Sergey, a real privilege to have you here. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Hi, Damien. Good morning. Sun is shining here in New York, and I'm happy to join this podcast. Thanks for inviting me. Ah, oh, so Sergey, I mean, the sun is shining in some places. I'll tell you one place it's not shining. It's on all those dollar bulls. We've seen double tops now in the dollar. We've seen and U.S. Treasury yields. And this is kind of fueled, in my opinion, a pretty vicious rally in risk assets, right? EM fixed income offers higher yields than their developed market counterparts. And, you know, investors, you know, sinking incremental income amid inflationary pressure and recessionary fear might be inclined to, you know, kind of go there. But the question I have for you is this, is this really the inflection point structurally bullish EM investors have been waiting for? I mean, has the 10 year peaked and perhaps more importantly, how long is the runway for U.S. dollar strength? Yeah, right. Look, uh, last year has been a disaster for everyone, right? All over the place, emerging markets not excluded. So uh, we've run this um, negative um, environment for, for quite a while. And I think investors have been uh, looking for the moment to catch this opportunity. And that's what started happening in November uh, when the Fed started to pivot, right? So now that the rates have somewhat stabilized, I think the markets uh, took that as a signal to buy. Emerging markets uh, are particularly in a, in a relatively good spot because now the primary market is open to them. They've issued, uh, it's been a really a blockbuster January so far. Uh, they've issued more than 60 billion of, of new paper. And I think that's a signal investors want to buy. Uh, I think there's still some uh, way to go for the rally, but of course, a lot of the, um, a lot of the momentum has already been priced in. So it's really not as obvious anymore. But that said, I'm rather optimistic uh, for the upcoming weeks to months, I'd say. Well, Sergey, you went there, so let's go there, right? I mean, we've seen KSA, we've seen Indonesia, we've seen Turkey. I mean, EM primary markets are certainly open for business. I agree with that. Yet, let's be clear, emerging market public debt has surged to 66% of GDP from just 54% in 2019, right? I mean, we're talking rising rates now, weaker currencies, and quite frankly, below trend GDP. I mean, so what are your thoughts on the ability to service these obligations from a sovereign perspective specifically? Is this manageable or can we expect, you know, some some hotspots to bubble to the surface here across EM? Right. I think there's been quite some uh, discrimination lately among the good quality and lower quality issuers. 2022 has been uh, quite a bifurcation moment for that. And a lot of the uh, lower quality countries have actually uh, restructured or went into this, um, you know, uh, more problematic cases. Whereas if the countries have managed to keep their investment rate ratings and the fiscal balances and balances of payment uh, intact, I think that's already a positive signal. And that's actually reflected in who is present in the primary market this month. It's Romania's, it's Hungary's, it's Indonesia's of this world that are still investment grade. So I do think there's, uh, there's quite some bright spots in this environment. And that's the beauty of emerging markets, which are quite diversified. So yes, some markets are less, um, 
uh, are less, let's say, optimistic. But uh, there's a lot of bright spots that are still uh, shining. So I think for emerging market investors, it's, it's good to, diver- uh, to differentiate, uh, but still be exposed. Well, I, if there's one thing we've learned in terms of bright spots there, I don't know if, if, if it's uh, 5%, if it's 10%, but certainly zero is not the allocation one would want to have to Chinese assets, given the furious rally we've seen here on the back of their economic reopening. I guess my question for you is, though, with all of the other risks from the property sector to big sec to to the crackdowns therein, I mean, talk to me about how investors should approach China in the current environment. I mean, is it through an ETF like FXI? Is it by investing in CGBs? I mean, how do you approach China in the current environment? Yeah, look, I think China is simply too big for emerging markets investors to to ignore completely. Uh, The scope of the issuers that are present is actually quite enormous. And it's not only the real estate sector, which of course has dominated the news flow, but frankly, there's a lot of investment grade uh, quasi-sovereign issuers uh, that are still there, that are still investment great, and that are trading relatively sure. wide given the reopening of the economy. Um, so I think uh, playing uh, China is is uh, very important. Again, it's, it's also very important to differentiate. So a kind of a barbell strategy would make sense uh, if you have exposure to investment grade issuers and at the same, po- uh, at the same time uh, having a certain exposure to also property sector actually makes sense because uh, I think starting November, December, just when China started to pivot on COVID, they also started to support big time the property sector. So I think we've seen the worst uh, and there's quite some, um, you know, underappreciated assets out, uh, out there, uh, even though, of course, uh, you know, coming back to, to, you know, business as usual uh, is probably not the base case. But I think the valuations more than reflect that and there's no marginal, uh, um, well, lately, yes, but there's in general... Uh, a lot of investors that left the market for good. So I, I think part of the exposure being to uh, lower quality China is also uh, quite attractive for investors if they're diversified enough. Interesting. I mean, that's very interesting. I mean, look, we've seen some big moves in Cogard and Vanke, but, you know, I've heard the same thing. These tier two, tier three property developers, you know, there is value there if you know how to do the work. And so, yeah, I mean, look, you know, let's, let's shift back to the U.S. here. I mean, let's just ask sure. the elephant in the room. I mean, do you think the Fed can engineer a soft landing or has that ship sailed? <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's, a, that's a tough question for emerging market specialists, a bit bigger than I, can, uh, than I can chew, but I'll try to address that. Look, I think Fed has done uh, a great job lately in terms of addressing inflation expectations and bringing the, um, the inflation somewhat down. Now, of course, the recession uh, is still likely and on many uh, radar screens, uh, that said, I'd say what matters for me as an, as an emerging market specialist, uh, the impact is less, um, uh, less powerful, let's say, as compared to uh, what it would be three, five years ago uh, because of COVID, because of uh, a lot of what is happening in the world broadly, right? Protectionism and other things and China <clears throat> and whatnot. So in this sense, emerging markets are more diversified. So some of them will suffer. Uh, if if you, if the U.S. goes into recession, such as Mexico, as an obvious uh, most obvious example, let's say, uh, and ha- and the one that has very uh, strong connections to the U.S. economy, but others are so much more dependent on other factors, such as commodities, which remain strong, that it frankly matters less. And China is probably a more dominant player here, right? So there's a lot of commodity. Um, 
uh, oriented economies and those rely a lot more on I'd call I'd call it a China play uh, rather than the US play. But clearly what you say is of course important for rates, for markets broadly. And if investors are not allocating to the US because of the recession, uh, it will have some reverberation uh, on the EM markets too. So I have to be careful. Uh, coming back to your question, I'd say uh, the chances of a recession are probably increasing, uh, but it's still more or less a 50-50 call for me. Interesting. I mean, look, and, and you mentioned commodities there, and I think for our audience, they all know, I mean, copper's had another banner year. I mean, I think copper's been up five out of the last seven years. I mean, Brent crude is starting to rally here. And look, I mean, rightfully so, you know, Asia is now following along with the rest of the EM complex in pumping the brakes on inflation. And so, you know, I guess my question for you is we have different central banks at different points in their tightening cycle. Are there opportunities yet to begin receiving in some of these countries? I mean, receiving in the front end, receiving in the belly, you tell me. But I mean, you look at some of these inflation prints, so certainly, you know, Eastern Europe, Hungary, the Czech Republic, I mean, where inflation's running hot. But, you know, inflation seems to be more controlled in Asia. And some of these high yielders like Indonesia just don't cut it anymore. I mean, I'm just curious, where do you see opportunities as we head into 2023 to begin receiving in some of these local markets? Right. So, uh, First of all, one thing that I'd like to add on the commodities and all this place is that it's uh, very often considered a demand, uh, you know, f factors that matter. But don't forget the supply factor. A lot of it has been affected by COVID and many sure. other interruptions in the recent past, like in Latin America, political tensions. So some of those have also supported commodity markets, right? So that's also helping those economies. Now, coming back to your question regarding the, the, the curves, and, and, and rates uh, in the local countries. Look, I think, uh, interestingly enough, uh, in the more recent cycle, we've seen the short uh, end of the curve, and I'm speaking now about the hard currency, first of all, uh, we've seen quite a lot of uh, uh, inversion of the curve. So it actually makes less sense uh, for investors to go to the long end. I'm not saying this for the whole market, but sure. in, 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 quite some in quite a few examples, uh, you can go just to a, to a short part of the curve and be invested in investment-grade issuers uh, with two, three-year paper at 7 8% yields yep. uh, for a decent quality. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, now, if we talk about local rates, of which uh, I'll, I'll have to admit I'm less of an expert in, I think there's also a differentiation between different countries, and, and some of them are indeed attractive Um uh, also versus the, you know, just as the play on, on, on inflation, but some others are, of course, more affected. Like, uh, I'd say Hungary is a lot affected by inflation and they rely a lot on the EU support uh, if they want to have that under control. Um, but, um, but some others have dealt a lot better. Like, I'll give Brazil as an example of a, of a, of a country where the central bank has been proactive uh, and has done a pretty good job uh, actually before uh, uh, before even the war started and all the um, effects of it took, took place, like late 2022, they started the hiking cycle. So some of them are pretty good and even better than the, the developed market central banks. Um, so yeah, I'd say emerging markets are quite a diverse play. So receiving in DI futures, you heard it here first. No, I'm kidding. I'm joking. <laughs> um, so, you know, you mentioned something that was interesting um, when you were talking about commodities, you're talking about political risk. And obviously the election calendar is 
about to pick up quite considerably beginning in Nigeria. Right. And then obviously we have Turkey, which might be moved up from June to May if things go that way. And Argentina right. obviously coming up in October. I mean, those are the big three events investors must grapple with. But there are others. I mean, there's Pakistan, there's Poland, there's Peru that also hold meaning for investors. Talk to me about that $420 billion out of EM external debt facing election risk in 2023. Is this an opportunity for investors to get in early or should they be waiting until these events actually take place before they can see what comes next? I'd say even if there's no formal election, remember that Chile, for instance, has a constitutional reform going on and they have the referendum on that. Peru is is in the doldrums with all the protests and everything. Look, there's always something going on in emerging markets. The, um, The problem, or I would say the beauty of it, is that you can actually harness that. Um, you need to be careful when you get involved. And it's honestly, honestly, very often case by case where you need to be early, you need to be, uh, you need to wait uh, and sit on the fence rather. So let's take an example of, um, you name it, Turkey, for instance, right? So they have, let's say, uh, probably elections in May, right? I think a telling example is that a Turkish uh, Exim Bank is issuing today uh, at below double did uh, at below ten percent for three years, uh, which whereas typically they would be issuing for five years. I think that's kind of telling that markets yeah. are actually uh, having demand for this bond uh, despite the political risk, despite everything that's going on in 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 Turkey economically. And people tend uh, to forget that uh, to every bad news there's a good news. And like Turkey, that's been in a doldrums on on many fronts and despite the unorthodox uh, monetary uh, policy uh, they've had quite some support from the gulf lately from russia uh from from some other sources right and their balance of payments has been supported despite all the doomsday scenarios so uh as as for elections i'd say um the base case is now that erdogan will probably be re-elected and the parliament uh will either be uh, still controlled by AKP and the, and, the, and the friendly parties, or they will lose the outright majority. Um, that said, uh, I'd say Turkey is already priced as a single B country, uh, which is to me fair enough, barring uh, a big major blow up, which doesn't look to me as imminent uh, if this base case materializes, right? So in Turkish case, we have elections, we have political uncertainty, uh, but I doubt there is a solid opportunity on either long or short side, actually. Uh, so it's priced in. <clears throat> and Sergey, as you well know, I mean, Turkey is just one of these many elections that are coming up. I mean, the one that really has my attention is Nigeria, right? I mean, coming up in February, I mean, this is supposed to be the PDP versus the APC. Yet, you know, Labor Party Peter Obi is the poll leader here. And, you know, again, this is a country whose debt stock quadrupled. And if Obi's indeed elected, you know, there's risk that he's going to reprofile, you know, $16 billion worth of dollar bonds. Right. So, you know, there's certainly a lot out there. I mean, I think, you know, the one, though, that at least from the people I speak to that has most investors attention is Argentina, you know, and and certainly the move we just saw on the buyback program that was recently announced. I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on Argentina, on the role it plays within a a larger emerging market portfolio. Again, to me, it, it seems reminiscent of what we're seeing in China. Maybe it's not 5%, but certainly not, it's not zero, <laughs> if you follow me. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so which one first? Argentina, I guess, right? So I think uh, it's indeed major. It's been in the making, although 
um, it's not as huge, right? So it's, it's a billion to start with. They mentioned that, maybe a bit more. Uh, in any case, in marginal terms, I think it's definitely a big help. And that's what has been reflected in, in the prices, right? We've been at the lows at, what, 16 cents or something, 1.6. Um, and, you know, it's, it's like 30s, right? So I think it's, it's, it's been a huge move. It's still far from par, though. So that reflects yeah. uh, investors' long-term ambiguity still. Uh, it's not like everybody is, is you know, living, uh, selling their houses to buy this. But that said, uh, there's definitely a very positive momentum there in terms of purely technicals, right? Now, of course, elections uh, are a very big thing. Uh, we are expecting the opposition to probably win, although that's not a slam dunk. Uh, regardless, uh, the macroeconomic situation remains very, very challenging, right? So uh, this, this buyback is, of course, um, uh, is, is, is a very surprising thing fundamentally. Uh, that said, um, again, the, the macroeconomic challenges have been there for, for years now, uh, and investors have still um, seen some value in the bonds at 15, 20 cents. Uh, so I agree with you. I think the allocation of more than zero uh, makes sense. Uh, I wouldn't go super uh, ballistic about that and, and, and increase it to, to pre 2018 <laughs> levels, I'd say. Uh, but that's it. Don't forget one more thing longer term. Uh, Vaca Muerta, right? So yes, it's of a course. big thing. And that's going to improve uh, Argentina's macroeconomic and fiscal standing. Uh, as soon as hopefully 2025, right? So for investors, for bond investors, which have maturities in 29, 30 onwards, um, it's still a decent boost, right? So short-term challenges, long-term support, and in the meanwhile, you have valuations of 30 cents, yeah. right? So I think it makes sense to have some exposure, uh, but not um, enormous one. And so, Sergey, I know time's running short. You know, I have to ask you this one last question because it's, sure. It's the kiss of death for, for emerging market investors. I mean, for years and years and years, we've heard about, quote unquote, the diversification benefit of emerging markets within a broader asset allocation, though it's tough to argue that in recent years, as all assets kind of have gotten more and more beta correlated, you know, emerging markets from that perspective has lost a bit of its luster. I wonder if you could just share with our audience your, your views on that. I mean, have emerging markets really lost their diversification benefit or... Or do they have something special that they can still offer? And is that something special more akin to the idiosyncratic opportunities we're seeing at the country or at the sector level? Or is it something uh, different and apart from that? Let me ask you back, Damian. Uh, how many countries do you think there is an EM available for investments, for bond investors? For bond investors, for dollar, well, local and dollar, I would say it's something in the order of 65, 70. Something like that, correct. How many are there in the developed world? Yeah, right. Exactly. So what, uh, 12 to 15, right? Exactly. 12, exactly. 20, most of them are correlated, right? So uh, there you go. And I think that still uh, there is a lot of advantage to investors in this diversification argument. Now, of course, when uh, macro or you know uh, global geopolitical factors come into play uh, and everything is hit, uh, emerging markets take... Um, take it uh, a, a big hit and definitely move uh, in tandem. But that said, within that circle, there's still been a lot of diversification. Some of the countries have gone into uh, what is known as basket cases. Uh, others, though, keep 
shining, let me call it that way. Uh, the investment-grade countries that I've mentioned before are, are still there, are still paying you, uh, even though their debt metrics have uh, adjusted downwards. Uh, I think they're still fine in the global context. So, no, I think the argument still holds. Emerging markets are still a diversified bunch and definitely more so than developed world. So there is some space for um, for emerging markets and the investors' portfolios, particularly still due to the diversification factor. Sergey, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts, for sharing your views with us here today. And thank you to our audience of ever-enduring, always-committed emerging market enthusiasts for your time and your continued interest. Keep well, stay safe, and keep moving forward. Thank you so much.